This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. You know, it's interesting because as a kid, I really loved the environment of cities, you know, to hear about them, just to imagine what it'd be like going from east end of town to downtown or, or whatever. And of course, the one we had the most exposure here to know about would be either be London, England or, or New York City. Um, that stuff, when you, you talk of show like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, as Mike Fair was speaking to us in the last segment on rum, that, that stuff just fascinates me. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool, too, because there's so many versions, influences uh, of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And yeah. then it's, you know, it's still going, right? Oh, Considering sure. how classic it is, how old it is. But yeah. it's kind of everywhere. There's all kinds of, uh, you can tell when you're watching certain TV or podcasts or just storylines of things where they're pulled from. And uh, it's pretty fascinating to know how big it is. For me, it's the snapshot of life then because it was written about That's true too. at the time as a current. So that was just life then. And yeah. we're hearing about it 150 years later. Oh, wow. But also oh, the yeah. contemporary versions of this, yes. of this kind of tale um, is pretty awesome too. Yeah. Really cool stuff. Welcome back, folks, wherever you are listening in around the world uh, to Kelly and Company. We appreciate you being with us. And speaking of around the world, let's bring in now as we're joined by our friend from the UK, Fern Lullum. What's on your mind? I'm Fern Lullum from the UK, and whether serious, silly, or somewhere in between, I've got you covered. Let's face it, the most effective therapy is a chat with your bestie. Fern, let's get to the serious right off the top here and, and give you the floor for a moment. Um, of course, over here, we're reeling from the death of Queen Elizabeth II and thought maybe you might want a few moments to say some words. Absolutely. I mean, I think we're all just very sorry to hear about the passing today. We kind of heard at lunchtime that she, she you know, she was ill. It wasn't looking good. Um, and And obviously, most people have just never known a, a time with a different monarch, mm-hmm. um, you know, most people living yeah. now because because she's been here for so long. And I think it, it probably will be different in the future because Charles is very different. You know, he is more outspoken. And I think most people really did like the Queen and, and the way that she was. So it'll be interesting to see how things change and how things progress. But, you know, she was 96 years old. That's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty amazing. And uh, as we were talking with Stephen Scott earlier, you know, with the brand new prime minister, too, it feels like a lot is shifting um, Mm. for you guys in the UK. So as you said, we kind of keep posted to see how this change will come about. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be like I say, it'll be interesting to see what happens and and what it means for for us in the UK. Mm -hmm. Well, definitely. And of course, our thoughts out to everybody, um, all impacted, of course, many people around the world. Today, we're talking, Fern, with you about the psychological impact that blindness can have. Um, Could you please like to kind of guide us where we're going? Yeah, well, I think this is a really important topic and one of my favorites. I mean, a lot has rightly been said and and gets said a lot about the physical challenges that we face as blind people, all of the practicalities that we go through every day. But I do think it's just as important, sometimes even more important, to look at the emotional side of things. And honestly, I don't think that we do enough of that. 
Well, Fern, we know from things you've said on the program before that it's something you have a particular interest in. Yeah, I absolutely do. And recently I was lucky enough to speak to someone with lots of experience of supporting blind people with the emotional issues that they face on a daily basis. Someone who deals with it on a professional basis? Yes, indeed it was, Ramya. I spoke to David Best. David is visually impaired himself and he has many years of providing a counselling service for blind people under his belt on behalf of a UK charity. So I was absolutely thrilled to be able to chat with somebody who shares my interest in the psychology that goes along with blindness and has just so much knowledge about all of the, the things that go into that. Wow, that's amazing. I can imagine this was an opportunity that you didn't want to miss. So it certainly can you tell us was not. <laughs> a little bit about what you discussed with David. Yes. So I talked about confidence. Um, that was the kind of the big topic. And naturally enough, we started with confidence as a child, because we all know, going back to Freud, it all starts when you're a child. And um and you know, how most of us have moments where we come to realize that we just can't do everything that others can or we can't do it in the same way that others can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really defining time uh, for us. It is. And I think that what David says about it really did resonate with me because he spoke about the dilemma of whether to reveal to the world that you have a visual impairment or not. Well, and, and so many blind people agonize over that. So what did mm-hmm. David say about it? Well, he made the point that young people can worry a lot about how others see them and the judgments that they might make. They can make the decision to use a a cane or a guide dog really, you know, it makes it really hard for them because like, just like me, I went through this myself. Everyone knows then that you're visually impaired. You know, you might as well wear a t-shirt saying I am blind. Um, (laughs) So, you know, as I've said before, my guide dog, Nancy, as you know, I always say she's wonderful, but she just can't keep a secret. You see, Nancy, (laughs) you know, straight away. Yes, we do. But she's too cute. So what's the advice (laughs) around this then? Well, David said that one of the things to remember is that people will always look at other people, whoever they are, whether disabled or not. um, And, you know, it's just a natural thing when we're out and about. That's what happens. But after a second or two, really, they've forgotten. They've moved on with their lives. And I think what they do remember, though, is if you walk into a lamppost or some other (laughs) obstacle because you don't have a mobility aid because you were too embarrassed to get one. (laughs) It's kind of that's a pretty powerful argument. That's for sure. But it can still take a lot of courage for some people to make their disability, uh, you know, obvious. It's kind of hard to, to, to decide to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great irony, isn't it, that we, we want to hide it so much. But then when we do something embarrassing and people don't know why, we just think, oh, God, now I don't have a you know, I don't have an Where's my explanation? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so David acknowledged that. And it's something that he struggles with himself. And I know from my own experience of deciding to get Nancy, because I agonized over whether to get Nancy. Mm-hmm. It's really not easy. Um, and however, I, I have found that it is po- possible to get the reaction from others into perspective you know you don't need to worry about it quite so much Um, and to see that there are positive aspects in being open about your disability like having an explanation about why you just walked into a lamppost and there's nothing wrong with taking your time over that and just being you know making sure that you feel comfortable with it yeah and that's even if you're deciding between using a a cane or a guide dog you know Mm. it's a big journey the decision making part of it and one of the things that we hear about is some people 
might try to overcompensate for their lack of vision in things mm-hmm. that they do so that they feel more valued by others. Did you discuss that aspect of it? Oh, yes. That is definitely, again, something that I have done in the past. Sure. And what David said about that really did resonate with me, especially as I'm kind of a self-professed people pleaser. Okay. <laughs> Say a little more about that. Well, you might not notice it, you two, because I, you know, I sort of give the lip on this show, but um, <laughs> I, I am a self-confessed people pleaser, believe it or not. And uh, uh, although you might not have noticed from my segments as well, I am a bit of a perfectionist. Sometimes they're all over the place here, but in, in general in life, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And I think that that is an ov- overcompensation for my blindness. So as David said, this can work against you because setting impossibly high standards is likely to end in disappointment because you can never reach them and a complete knock to your confidence. It's an interesting perspective because so many of us can attest to this, right? We keep setting the bar higher and higher and higher Mm -hmm. so that people don't think that our bars are so low because we have disabilities. But Mm -hmm. isn't that like from what you're saying, isn't that saying blind people can't compete in the world? Mm. No. Could it be taken away? I, well, I suppose it could be, but I think it's important to make it clear that that it isn't saying that because I think the downside of always aiming for perfection, um, it, you know, that applies to everyone, whether you've got a disability or not. Yeah. And no one's perfect. Funnily enough, I, and this might come a shock to people, but no one is perfect. Um, and I know that quite often it comes across that I am, but no, <laughs> nobody is perfect. Being the blind, um, and being blind certainly shouldn't stop you from being ambitious. Absolutely. Don't you know don't let that stop you but like anyone else just take care not to let unrealistic expectations lead you down a path which damages your confidence because again it's ironic isn't it yeah Mm. you really get into trouble sometimes having those unrealistic or making those demands and for the reasons that sometimes we conjure i want people to see me as a capable person instead (laughs) of that being happy being realistic and saying yeah I am capable. It's sort of like that feeling, as you were talking earlier, that that people are watching you as if they're waiting mm-hmm. for you to make a mistake or something. When we forget how many people are, wow, oh, look, at the, I, I couldn't do that. Or oh, that person's totally fine. I don't need to stick my mm-hmm. nose in. Um, but let's stay with confidence because it's often something that we really often need if asking for a reasonable adjustment or if we... Uh, you know, if we feel a refu- experience um, an access refusal. Yes, yes. Talking of guide dogs, access refusals are something yeah. that I am mm. no stranger to. So that's another really important reason why we should talk more about the emotional side of visual impairment, because that is something that we struggle with. Yeah. And what's David um, had to say about this one? Well, one of his observations is that we do have a tendency to be less assertive than we need to be at times, at least some of us do. And we can be inclined to ask for permission to have things rather than saying, this is what I need and being really clear about that. Very interesting. Wow. So true. So rather than deciding to use a cane or have a guide dog, it's about really owning the fact that you have a visual impairment and taking control. This is really tremendous. Yeah, 100%. David says that some people worry that asking for help means giving away their independence. Right. But actually, the opposite is true because in that way, you're taking control of the mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. Well, right. and people get that, I'm bringing negative attention to myself. Yeah. Why can't people just not just leave me alone or I don't mm. want people to notice me? And I guess if you're out moving around, 
Maybe you can get away with it, depending on on your realistic, uh, what you're able to do. But sometimes some of us can put ourselves either in physical harm or Mm -hmm. people, the first thing they think about is, what's wrong with that person? They've been drinking too much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But what you said about, you know, having that control is confidence, is showcasing that you're able to Mm -hmm. ask for help. That's a huge part of it. Can you give us an example of that? Because this is something that I had to really come to terms with as well. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And so, 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 okay, let's take the example. You're in a shop and you want to find something. So you've got two choices, basically. You can spend ages trying to figure out where it is and you you can't find it and it's really embarrassing. And then eventually you feel all sorry for yourself. and You think, oh God, I'm going to have to go and ask. It's no good. And and by that point, you're just feeling terrible, right? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, often what all you achieve by that is just frustration and annoyance and like i say feeling terrible about yourself or you can say no i'm just going to go in this shop i'm not even going to try and look i'm going to go up to the counter and i'm going to ask and there's nothing wrong in asking mm-hmm. for help and as soon as you go into that shop and you ask again it's taking control it's empowering yourself and then you're not going to leave thinking oh i tried my best but i couldn't do it you know you're going to go in there <laughs> saying no defeating. i went in yeah. i asked and Hey, presto, it was fine. Yeah. You don't want to leave empty-handed, nor do you want that feeling of the burning, the red ears, as you're embarrassed, yes. thinking everyone in the store knows, you don't know where you're going. I see you over there hiding behind the soda <laughs> of me. Um, so is that what David means, taking control in this situation? Yeah. So as he says, when we ask for help, it's all part of being independent and everyone needs help at some point, whoever you are, and asking for it builds up your confidence and your self-esteem. So the general theme, got to let you go in a sec, but the general theme of this is being open and honest with both the world and yourself about who you are and what your abilities are is a good recipe for confidence and self-esteem. Exactly. And it's something we all share, disabled or not. You betcha. Fern, thanks a lot. Great topic. Thank you, David Best, as well uh, for the wonderful insight. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Have a great show, guys. Thank you. Fern Lullum joins us every other week for UK Disability Highlights. Up next, community reporter Kim Hovey took part in a research study aiming to better understand the experiences of people with low or no vision navigating the built environment. She gives us some highlights after this. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.